The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Late last year, news emerged that a New Zealand gin had won the highest accolade in the global industry, Best London Dry Gin, at the top international wine and spirits competition. It was a great win to get after a big run and a lot of change. This gin had recently changed its name from Rogue Society to Scapegrace, a huge undertaking and big risk in the name of the bigger game of making it overseas. And making it they are beating more than 600 other gins to take out that supreme award, which had a 50% increase in entrance from the year before. Part of the huge wage of growth in gin that the guys behind this company timed very well when they started in just 2014. How do you go from a standing start in four years to the top? How do you become the top-selling super premium gin in New Zealand in even shorter time? And how do you add around 40 countries and heaps of states in the US while changing name? Well, to talk the journey... Two of the co-founders, Daniel McLaughlin and Mark Neal, join me now. G'day, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having us. Yeah, g'day, Simon. So we've got uh, Daniel here. Hey, Simon. And Mark there. Kia ora, Simon. Kia ora. And I shall, um, I'll ask, how How did you come to start the gin company, two of the three co-founders? Uh, well, we basically, in short, um, Mark's actually my brother-in-law. So we started uh, about seven years ago, really, um, you know, we used to get together a lot and drink a lot of gin from you know all around the around the world, and and uh, we we sort of came to a realization that you, you know you'd walk into the to the local liquor store and there'd be a lot of gins from the likes of the UK and um, Europe and and the US, but um, there wasn't really anything that represented New Zealand, and we thought uh, that you know New Zealand being you know such a clean, pure sort of environment um, that you know potentially there was an opportunity to to sort of explore a premium New Zealand gin. So we uh, we also realised that the category was was quite stuffy and quite English and very traditional and uh, and, and being sort of early thirties uh, gin adorers we, we there wasn't really anything that spoke to who we were as as gin drinkers so we started um, started I guess on the journey of of how do you make gin you know who makes the best gin um, you know looking at what's on the market at the moment and talking to s- distillers and bartenders and uh, and and really just you know delving into the whole the whole process and the, and um, and you know, then doing a lot of work on on brand and positioning and and um, and market and uh, and and we yeah we basically spent about two two and a, two to three years uh, working on the project um, and then yeah we launched yeah as you say sort of February two thousand and fourteen uh, and and we've sort of just been pretty much running ever since. How do you actually go about 
making a gin? Like, is it is it something that um, you know? Do you do you get a bathtub at home, or what? What, what kind of a process do you go through? Um, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, essentially, there's four principles to making exceptional gin. Um, and when we were developing the recipe, um, we we really took each one of those principles um, into consideration. Get one of those wrong, and your quality drops. So. You start off with a base spirit um, that can be various forms. Um, you've got to distill it in something. You've got um, stainless uh, stills. You've got copper stills. Uh, you've got your botanical mix. Um, and then also, finally, you've got your water. Um, with, with Scape Grace, um, we have a wheat-based grain, um, which is a high, high ethanol. Um, it's one of the most cleanest grains uh, we can get our hands on in the world. Um, and then we put our uh, 12 to 13 botanicals in there, um, depending on what variant it is. They macerate the botanicals in the um, in the nutrient spirit, which gets all the oils and the flavours out, um, and then we distill in a, um, in a in a copper copper pot still, which is a John Doerr nineteenth century still. It's about one hundred and twenty odd years old, uh, which got brought to New Zealand in the seventies. It's actually an old whiskey still, which is pretty pretty unique. Um, and then that comes off the comes off the still around about eighty six percent ABV. So she's she's pretty high at that stage. Um, and the final element is is the water, which brings it down to. Um, I guess, um, you know, drinking standard, which is for us 42.2. Um, and that water is absolutely critical. Um, and one thing I think we take for granted here in New Zealand. Is how good the, the water is here to, to work with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the gins from around the world, um, you know, in the UK, um, you've got the Thames right next to you and our distillery sort of, um, sort of at the base of um, the um, Southern Alps and the Canterbury region there um, in Kaipoi and some of the waters there are some of the best waters in the world. Sure. How do you start the process, though? So that's kind of you know by the time you've committed to buying a hundred and twenty year old still and found all the best grain and stuff, like you know you know as as a couple of mates sitting around thinking, shoot, we should make something like this. How do you first start making your own batch? Uh, well, you, you basically need to to come up with a recipe, and uh, and that recipe is is effectively a combination of botanicals. Um, botanicals are pretty much like dried plants and herbs and roots and things like that. And every gin has a different um, blend of botanicals. So you need, of course, to, to fine-tune what that blend looks like and, and figure out what the um, motivations are, I guess, behind the, the spirit that you're trying to create. For us, it was about um, creating a, a real versatile gin that was, that was really good for making classic cocktails with bartenders in mind. So we really wanted to create um, a, a really top-quality premium gin that was perfect for classic cocktails and anything from a gin and tonic through to a martini. And so we decided that the important component of that was citrus. So we really um, we really beefed up the citrus notes in our, in our recipe. Uh, so we have 12 botanicals, and uh, the two dominant botanicals are dried uh, orange and dried lemon. It gives it a really citrus-forward profile, which makes it really, you know, really good for, for cocktails and, uh, and, uh, and, and for you know, versatility across a range of different, different um, premium cocktails and, and uh, classic cocktails. What was the thing two and a half years into this kind of journey of gin discovery that made you think, right, we've got it. Let's let's launch the company. Let's chuck our lot in. Let's do this thing. Uh, well, well, I guess it was you know realizing that you actually had something good, you know, uh, from a from a liquid perspective, you know, and we we basically to test that we put it in front of a lot of bartenders, a lot of you know experts in the industry, you know, distributors as well, and. Um, and you know we realised that you know the spirit was 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 really good, and then uh, and we we did a lot of work on the um, on the whole brand positioning and where we really wanted the brand to be positioned, and found a really nice sweet spot. 
and uh, and then you know and, and a combination of then you know working on sort of brand and packaging design all that sort of stuff as well. So you know we 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 were really happy with the product that we had, and you know people were saying the same thing. You know, and it wasn't just your friends and family, which is I guess you know generally your friends and family always say that things are great, but when you're actually putting it in front of an audience of of experts and they say it's good too, then you, you know you give it a crack. We'll get to that branding in a minute when we talk about the the story change because I mean it's beautiful the bottle's beautiful and, and the name and stuff it was um, a, a really you know lovely product that you made there. What backgrounds did you guys have to to be able to do uh, all of these things? Uh, well, my background is I, I had a small business before this, um, which was a sort of a liquor promotions type agency. So I used to work with. Um, the you know the big liquor brands in New Zealand and Australia you know the likes of Diageo and Pernod Ricard and Bacardi and and I used to do a lot of um, everything from you know point of sale design through to um, merchandise and trade marketing concepts you know anything sort of you know with a with a brand on it really in a in either a retail environment or in a bar environment so I, I started that when I was in my early twenties and uh, and ran that for you know for a, for a decade or before um, before starting this. And uh, so yeah, so I guess I'd always worked in, in the liquor industry since you know since you know I was twenty years old. So kind of that was kind of what I knew. Mm-hmm. How about you, Mark? What was your um, path into the liquor industry? Yeah, well, it's kind of been in the family blood um, from my granddad really. Um, I when I was growing up, my parents ran hotels, um, good old country pubs, and we lived we lived on site, so um, a lot of coke and raspberry on tap. Um, so. Yeah, it's always been in the in the in the blood, and then sort of once I uh, went to university um, down in Otago, um, sort of um, did a little bit at the Spates Brewery, um, and sort of did my degree, which was in sort of sales and marketing, um, and, and phys ed for some weird re- reason, um, and then yeah, came up to to Auckland and sort of spent sort of seven or eight years working for for Lion and sort of various um, roles across sort of sales and marketing. So yeah, it's always been been in the blood. Yeah. And knowing the industry like that, and seeing that gap, because you know, as um, as was mentioned in the intro about the the hundreds of gins now in this kind of category, and how a few years ago, when you first spotted, uh, you, you know, you know this this uh, lack of a of a gin with this kind of character, in the time since then, the flowering of gin has been absolutely amazing. I saw a video recently of a friend who was judging a a gin competition in Sydney. And there were about 300 independent gins just from Australia in this competition. Extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's, you know, even if you look at domestically, there's, you know, since since we started, you know, five years ago, there's been, you know, dozens and dozens of, of small sort of micro distilleries sort of popping into the scene, you know, and that's right throughout the world. It's, it's, it's very similar to that because you're getting all these sort of more province, province-based kind of distilleries popping up. Yeah. And the volume of gin being sold, like, has tripled in the UK in the last, what, five years or so? Yeah, the category's in really, really good growth still. Um, you know, the, the gin resurgence, I guess, started, you know, over a decade ago in the UK, and it's still seeing sort of, you know, good solid growth each year on year. So, and that's, you know, spread through, you know, through all the, you know, Europe and down to New Zealand and Australia in the last kind of few years. So that's quite a big kind of wave to to ride, but still the success that you guys have seen from coming from a standing start, how long did it take before you were the top selling super premium gym in New Zealand? Uh, it was a number of number of years really, wasn't it, before we sort of, you know, before we really cracked that I guess, you know, so it was, you know, we started off, um, you know, from day one and it was just Mark and myself sort of slinging cases out of a small office in Greyland, you know, it was just the two of us, Mark would 
you know, look after the sales, I'd look after the commercial side of things and, and we're basically just yeah, shoving cases out there out the office door to you know, we built around about a hundred odd bars um, as customers and maybe 30, 40 retailers. And then after about six months, we got our first distributor on, online, uh, which was Hancock's Wines, Wine, Beer and Spirits Merchants. And they basically took us from, you know, from a small, um, small distribution base to, to you know, a really large distribution base throughout the country. And so we ranged in you know, you know, a lot of the best bars, restaurants, hotels, you know, and pretty much most, most liquor stores. So that, and then you know, that allowed us to, I guess, take a step back and, and work on the brand and the, and the you know, further improve the product and, you know, and, and our international expansion. How do you go about growing internationally? Like it's so cool, you know, to have won the the top uh, London dry gin from Aotearoa. You know, it's it's quite remarkable. Like, how, how do you go about taking um, cold Newcastle gin back to the UK? Uh, well, well, we started. Uh, you know, after we, we got our first distributor in New Zealand over the line, we we then started looking at export markets. And you know, being a New Zealand. Uh, Company, the obvious place to go to next is Australia. Uh, so we've been in Australia for around about three years. You know, we appointed our distributor there straight off the bat. You know, we didn't didn't do a direct model there, and um, and you know we sort of core ranged and Dan Murphy's over there and sort of maybe sort of two three hundred odd bars in Australia, and then we just we just went from there really and sort of the next market off off the back of that was the UK and um, and then off the UK came sort of twenty odd markets throughout Europe and. And then uh, into into Asia and and the US and Canada and so we're sort of, you know, you're just sort of basically building it, you know, one market at a time. But the key thing is appointing a really solid distributor in each market, and that's because we're a distributor model, so we run sort of 35, 40 odd distributors throughout the world, and uh, and so it's you know it's quite hard working a distributor over the line and getting the right distributor that you want. So it can take a number of months, even you know, even a, over a year to, to, to get that sorted. So that's kind of, I guess, determines the, the strategy a little bit. And up until this point in the story, a lot of um, the success maybe was the fact that the bottle looked cool and it was called Rogue Society and it, uh, it that conjured up kind of these images of, you, you know, kind of uh, rascals and rogues and troublemakers and gin and kind of the ancient times. How... How scary was it then to work out when you got to Europe that you'd have to change the name? And what happened there? Uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't a wasn't a particularly fun time. Uh, we we basically we'd um, we'd sold in Rogue Society to to the UK to our distributor High Spirits there, and they'd agreed to take the brand on. And we were at this point working through kind of uh, you know contracts and all that sort of thing. And at the same time, we went to register a European trademark for, for Rogue Society, which is Europe. The European Community trademark covers the UK and all of Europe. And uh, it was at that point that we um, we got the big, you know, the big, uh, you know, letter from the the Rogue Brewing guys in the US, and they basically um, challenged our our IP for for Rogue Society because they owned the word Rogue. And uh, we we spent you know oh, six months probably trying to trying to. Work a work an arrangement with these guys, you know, to um to be able to use Rogue Society because, you know, they're an American brewery that you know had deviated into spirits, and we were a, a spirits company, and you know we had Rogue Society, they were they were Rogue, so we thought that was different enough, but they you know there was there was no really negotiation with them at all, you know we they in the end, you know after a number of comms backwards and forwards, they basically just told us to, you know, deal with it or move on, you know, or pretty much deal with their lawyers. So, so at that point we um yeah we 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 
we really needed to come up with a new name. That was the only the only we sort of tried all different combinations, and uh, and the, the only option was really to to come up with a new name. And that's not a light decision to take. Um, what, what what kind of process do you have to go through to to change the name from there? Um, well, it was pretty much it's like renaming your firstborn son. You know, it's uh, it's uh, my my son's name's Ryder. It's like coming up for a new name for Ryder, which is which is quite tough. You know, so you know Mark and uh, Mark and myself. You know, this was our this was our baby. You know, this was our our firstborn son actually because we had this before we had any, either of our children, <laughs> and uh, and so it was pretty pretty tough time. You know, to to come up with a name because you needed to come up with a name that was. Um, better than than Rogue Society, but still spoke to kind of the core DNA of what we were about and what the brand was about and what people people would would buy the product for. So it was it was pretty challenging, and we spent you know months and months and months talking with you know different creatives, different you know um, agencies. You know we we gave you know all these different options a, a go, and we we ended up coming up with a with a list of of names you know to, that sort of we th- we thought would um, would you know, would be a potential, and um, and we 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 basically spoke to the people that were drinking our product and, and put it in front of them, and 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 actually got their feedback as to which which name that they thought was um, was appropriate. And um, it was actually Scapegrace was one that I came up with um, myself. You know, and, and and we really liked it because it still really spoke to the core DNA of of Rogue. You know, how did you find that? Like an eighteenth century word that meant the same thing? Are you re- reading some kind of Dickens or? No, no. It's, it's basically every night you'd uh, you'd you'd leave the office, you'd you'd go home, you'd um, have dinner, put the kids to bed, and you spend about three hours on Google, and you'd you'd go in a in a crazy direction of, of, a, of you know you'd start with one word and you'd just basically theosauruses and dictionaries and all this kind of thing you know you'd, you'd end up in another place by the end of the night and you'd come up with a list of words or names in, in between you know so and skate race was one that I just found one night and 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 um, and loved it straight away to be honest you know, I thought it was it was a really cool word and um, you know a little bit um, I actually to be honest, I like it more than Rogue Society now because I think it's actually it's a little bit more mis- mysterious. You know, it's not as obvious, and it's sort of um, it's it's got a really cool meaning, cool background, and and it sort of fits really well with the brand new name. Yeah, and a thing like that where once you know it, you're part of the club that knows it. It's kind of a an entry kind of secret password or something, which is kind of cool, a story that people can tell. Totally. Yeah. How I mean, I guess having such a distinctive bottle. Uh, must have really helped because you'd know that people would still recognise you on the shelf even with a different name there. Tell me about landing on that bottle. Is that such a huge part of the uh, of the connecting to customers part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Um, when we were sort of in the development stage um, trying to figure out a bottle, um, Dan was actually uh, overseas with my sister on a, I think it was your honeymoon, wasn't it? It actually was my honeymoon. Yeah. Honeymoon, yeah. yeah. And um, we were looking at inspirations for bottles and then Dan found... Um, one of the um, old Geneva bottles, which is an old, it's the old um, sort of 19th century um, gin bottles. It's what you used to rock up to your parties and your gin crates and back in the day. And he brought it uh, back back, back home and that was sort of our inspiration. We wanted to make a, a modern interpretation of the classic. Um, and the bottle was a real challenge. It, um, it's kind of what stalled us at least a year to get to market because actually um, creating that bottle was, was so important. It was all about kind of... You know, you could go get a stock bottle off the shelf and slap a name on it, but we wanted to create a um, an amazing looking bottle. So yeah, um, we spent a lot of time to get that to get that perfect. And then once we finally we went through numbers and numbers of bottle designers, um, 
and then once we once we cracked it, um, we we knew we had something. And I always remember the I think it was the first year that we were in market. Um, we we got in San Francisco, which is um, which is a big comp. We um, picked up the 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 best looking gin bottle in the world with the new Tanqueray design. Um, and we were only six months at, uh, old at that stage, and that's when I knew we had something special in terms of a, a good a good looking bottle. And with that kind of uh, yeah, that that kind of parachute, I guess uh, it would still maybe help you a bit, but. It must have been such a concern to then change the name uh, in the market. Did you see a speed bump? Was there a wobble, or what? What, what happened out of the back of that? Um, to be honest, we we grew volume considerably, which was was always our intention. Let's try and grow volume from the situation. Um, and I felt that if the story was one hundred percent honest and it was genuine, um, and you know we needed to tell our supporters and our followers the the truth, it couldn't be fabricated. So um, I thought if we told the story, how it landed. Um, and then we actually ran it through a really strong campaign. Um, you know, would be putting our best foot forward. So, yeah, we've we've grown volume considerably, and I think it's because um, the end of the day, um, people are drinking gin for the gin. You know, it's the same drop. Um, it's just the different name. So I think um, people that were drinking Rogue Society are still drinking Scape Grace. But the power of a really strong campaign when you can actually, um, you've got a strong message, which is you know authentic works. You get served lemons, so make gin and tonics. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life gives you lemons. That's yeah, it. yeah. That's it. Um, and so, where are you now? Yeah, uh, because um, last year the the PR that came out around the winning that big competition was saying that uh, distribution was ramping up in the states. You're you're in the top kind of five in the UK. Like, how? how, how yeah, lay out for me where the business is today. Uh, yeah, so we're we're, we're pretty much. Um, in New Zealand, we've sort of been trading here for five years and, you know, number one selling super premium gin in New Zealand, which is bloody awesome. Uh, and then, you know, in the UK, which is probably, it's our third biggest export market now is, you know, we're doing really, really well in the UK. And the UK is a, you know, is a competitive market. You know, you've got every brand in the world there pretty much. And, and we're in that sort of top sort of five imported super premium brands over there, which is, which is really good. Uh, and then in the US, we launched there in sort of September last year and um, and we've been pushed out uh, to sort of 20, 22 states through our company over there, our distributor over there, Sazerac Co. And, uh, and the US is going really, really good. That's now overtaken all our other markets and it's our second biggest export market. You know, we're, um, we're about to ship our fifth container to, to the US, so it's going really, really well over there. You know, we're, we're really happy with how... Um, how the brands, um, you know, been been you know been well received. Uh, so the, the the company now, I guess, um, you know, we're we've sort of almost doubled in size in the last twelve months uh, from a from a top line perspective. You know, where the business is, is tracking really well. Um, we've also taken this opportunity this year to take a step back and look at our our our, our key people in the, in the company because you know it's all about the people that you you have as part of your team, and, and we really want to make sure that the you know that we had um, a really strong team behind us to take us through that next stage of growth. So we've really bolstered up our our, our management team and our and our resource. So we've got you know pretty much experts in each department now, which is which is really good because we were running it bloody lean before and and uh, and you know trying to do a lot of things um, you know not probably as well as we could have. You know we, we were probably a little bit last minute. So this year uh, we've really we've doubled the company size in terms of heads and uh, we've got a you know a full finance department and office department you know all that sort of thing so <laughs> that know, must be really nice after having had to do it all yeah yeah pretty much you know it was sort of before it was you know every role was split between me and Mark so now it's actually quite nice to have uh, you know some good some good solid people in behind us you know 
And and where are you going? What's next? Uh, well, the, the motivation, I guess, from day one was to build a you know a global super premium spirits company. So you know we've we've we feel that we've done a really good job um, in the last you know four or five years in, in building Scape Race into a global brand. Um, you know, there's still a lot lot to be done, obviously. Um, but you know, we, we've got a really good route to market now. The brand's been well received in our in the markets we're trading in, and and you know it's it's going really well. So we're we're quite keen to move into into other categories, um, and so we've been working uh, for a number of years on a New Zealand single malt whiskey, which is what we're sort of um, looking to to roll out, I guess, in the next sort of twelve months uh, or so. So that'll be pretty pretty exciting and uh, and a whole new journey. And and basically, New Zealand single malt whiskey. New Zealand super premium gin, you know, they go so well together and, and pretty much every single one of our distributors around the world is screaming out for, for a single malt whiskey uh, from New Zealand and we'll take the take the brand overnight. So, you know, that's that's a big focus for us at the moment. And and also just building, um, you know, build, building that, that portfolio within gin, you know, looking at some potential line extensions for Scapegrace, um, some new products that will be coming out towards the end of the year, which will be bloody exciting too. It sounds pretty like things have you know gone pretty well in quite a short time. Like five years is, I mean, I'm sure the it's like kids, isn't it? The days feel long and the years feel short. Yeah. But that, that's a short time. Like, did you expect to be here? Like, was this the plan? Uh, do you, do you kind of um, pinch yourself, or are you not as far as you thought you should be by now? Uh, well, I think I think you, you keep pushing out the um, you know the, those those key key. Uh, you know, you get there and you're like, well, that was great. Okay, what's next? You know, sort of, you know. So I think, um, yeah, we're, we're pretty happy with where we're, what we've achieved in five years. And, um, you know, we've got pretty big motivations of what we're going to achieve in the next five years. And we're sort of, I guess now we're we're trying to look at, a, a you know, a longer term vision as well, you know, sort of trying to, trying to what does the next 10 years look like, for example, you know. So it's sort of looking out further afield and sort of, you know, having a really good strategy in place. Um, you know, we've got a really, really strong board um, in, in place at the moment, which is which is great. You know, to be able to bounce, you know, those visions and those strategies off, and uh, and yeah, so we, no, we're really happy with how it's going. But it's as you say, it's gone really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> do you what, what advice do you do you guys? You know, you must be asked for advice all the time. What advice do you give to a bunch of people who maybe have a dream and are, are, are talking with mates and thinking about kicking something off? Um, what sort of advice? I guess I guess surround yourself with. Bloody good people is as 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 you know. It's all about your team, really. You know, uh, from the person that you go into business with. You know, I couldn't have asked for a better business partner. And likewise with the third co-founder, Richard Burke. You know, he's he's also really uh, really supportive and and helpful. Uh, and then you know we've you know we've got a really good board in place, as I mentioned. You know, with, with the good chairman. You know, Peter Keane, who's the uh, ex managing director of Lion Nathan. You know, so he's he's he brings some good. Um, some good governance, uh, and then you know, right down through the through the business, you know, the people that we we're, were brought in and that we're forming into this family, you know, the Rogue Society Distilling Co. family is 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 really really strong, you know. So it's people are everything, I think, you know. I love the way you mentioned family and your own families yeah. there, and you are you are family too. Like, how how do you how do you define success? Like, what what success look like for you guys? Uh, well, I, I guess success is a number of things. You know, it's obviously from a, um, a business perspective, you know, and, and continuing to build the global super premium spirits company that we set out to. And and for us, you know, we really feel that there's a, a big opportunity here to grow a, a, a very large, substantial company. You know, we, um, you know, we, we feel that uh, New Zealand's a great a great breeding ground for that. And, and, you know, the route to market and the partners we've got in place means that, you know, there's not really a foreseeable ceiling for the business. So it's about it's about growing this 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 thing you know and we're really excited about that and we don't really see 
um, too many obstacles, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So that's that's one thing. And then there's also the fact that we, you know we love what we do. You know, it's it's a it's a really awesome industry that we're in, and you know we we love you know you get out of bed in the morning with a spring in your step, and that's pretty pretty important too. So from a success perspective, I think that's you know two two things. You know, to growing the growing the, continuing to grow this business and actually enjoying what you, what you do. That's awesome. You got anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's, that's, that's really top. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you for joining us today. That's uh, Daniel and Mark from Scape Grace Gin, and keep an eye out in the near future for a New Zealand single malt whiskey, it sounds like. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, Thanks, Simon. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for producing Ms. Tina Tiller, and thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.